going on down there. I got us to hit the ground running because everyone said they'd like to hit the ground running. So we did it. It's 9 p.m. and we're recording an episode of WTF TFW, the Transformers podcast that's very old. And we're going to talk about Netflix again. We got the last part of the War for Cybertron trilogy. It's called Kingdom. It's, uh, it's less than a week old still. Uh, and it's uh, going to be full of spoilers, what we're talking about. Now, it's not just going to be full of spoilers about Kingdom. It's not going to be full of spoilers about about other things, too. But I am going to say that I have points to make about Kingdom that relate to Masters of the Universe Revelations. I'm not going to, like, straight up spoil that show. But I am going to mention it here and there. And if you have been, like, holding out, wanting to get, like, a completely, uh, you know, untarnished viewing of that still, then uh, that's a little forewarning for you. Okay, Um, take care. It's five episodes, by the way, that are about half an hour long each. It takes less time to watch that than it takes to watch Kingdom. Uh, so you know, go go for it. But I'm not going to talk about plot details from it. I'm just going to... I got things to mention from it. But... This is a spoiler podcast about Transformers Kingdom, part three of the Netflix trilogy. Yes, this was delayed for a while... That's on me, good old spoiler section guy. I had a rough month, but things are looking up, and my throat has stopped inexplicably hurting. Anyway, let the spoilers begin. Kingdom uh, is the end of uh, the second F.J. DeSanto uh, trilogy. Um... He's done two now, and some people still have not even gotten to do one, and I don't think that's very fair. But um, I wanted to start us off, given the general tone around talking about Kingdom on Netflix, I want to start off with uh, us doing a little bit of a gush fest. Let's all let's all talk about a thing that we really enjoyed about Kingdom. Um, I might have a funny look on my face that you can't see because of something Aaron said to me uh, two days ago, but... Um, Aaron, to put you on the spot, uh, give me something that you really enjoyed about Kingdom. I'll say that their beast models were a nice improvement from the, you know, what is it now, like 25, 30-year-old, 25-year-old Beast Wars Ish. models? Yeah. yeah. There, was, there were some yeah. some improvements in there that, that pushed it back up the other side of the Uncanny Valley. They they definitely did not just use toy CAD models for the beast characters. Mm-hmm. Like those were a lot more scratch built. You could really tell on Air Razor because I was like I was like looking at my Air Razor. Like, wait, does the Hawkhead really do that on the chest? And it's like, no. <laughs> uh, so they yeah, there's a, a lot of work was put into those beast characters, and like uh, one of them fully no, two of them fully transform, and that's like a thing given like the I think kind of clearly limited budget. Uh, on this whole trilogy. Hmm. So, um, they, they, also a lot of them transformed very, very loudly one frame before they appeared on screen in a way that was also a little bit like, okay, good joke. It's a good, it's a good bit. Uh, but yeah, um, Optimus Primal and Megatron both had an on screen transformation. Um, and, uh, TJ, what about you? What was something that you enjoyed a whole lot about, uh, Kingdom? 
as my memory is trying to, desperately to come back to me. I'm trying to think of just like a general overarching thing rather than like go straight into like this little point, this little thing I actually really liked. I mean, you can do that too if you want. So I kind of like really like this take on Black Arachnia. Yeah, she was a, to me a very surprising highlight because like, did you did you see the the kind of non spoilery but we saw it early reviews? Because I'd swear at least one of them was like basically said, "Oh yeah, Black Arachnia is super horny," and I was really kind of worried that like the moment she showed up in the hallway with Starscream, I was like, "Is this going to be like really like written written by you know a dude who was a teenager?" When Beast Wars was out, but it was pleasant surprise. She had a really solid delivery. <laughs> yeah, like it had tones of the original Black Arachnia, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. like that that much I appreciate. I kind of like how they they didn't go they didn't go like directly the way she went in the original series. It was far more of she's she's kind of on her own side. Yeah. You know, rather, you know, rather than taking one or the other or just survival, she's just much like she's got her own. She's got her own thing she wants to do. And, you know, I've I've always been like a proponent that like Black Arachnia, like character wise, kind of gets shelved because she's in the same show as Dinobot. And like everyone kind of focuses on Dinobot. So hmm. I'm actually kind of happy to see that a little bit of what the original Black Arachnia was made it into this incarnation. Yeah. Yeah, like, she didn't um, go full hero at any point, and she had enough layers that she wasn't just, like, a, a cameo, you know, villain. Like, she, the like the, the plot with her and Starscream was way more layered than I would have given this show credit for going in. Um, mm-hmm. And also, it made decisions that were not as predictable as some other decisions could be in a good way. Like, uh, I'll talk about Starscream a bit, hopefully, as well, but... Um, yeah, like, like, she was solidly written. Um, Maycat uh, on Twitter has shared a whole bunch of script pages um, from, from her work on the show. And uh, also straight up said, like, yeah, like, I, I, I wrote Black Arachnia to be uh, 100% lesbian. Uh, and here are the script pages. <laughs> <laughs> and then, because uh, there was a whole thing where a lot of people were like, oh, is this, is this like a, a fun throwback to uh, when Silverbolt or, or was, was carrying Black Arachnia or when like when uh, Rat Trap gave Rhinox a kiss on the cheek? And I liked the follow up tweet where Maycat was like, I don't want to invite the specter of being a quote unquote fake fan, but also I literally didn't remember either of those scenes when I was writing that. It's just a coincidence. <laughs> and I was like, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I love the unintentional homage there like completely by accident apparently apparently yeah. like if you want to get with black arachnia all you have to do is wait for her to get blown off a cliff and then swoop down after her yeah yeah it's like you gotta be in the right place at the right time you gotta mention i might pull your legs off because it'll be like all right i actually had to because i couldn't um i i don't want to get into a negative right away but like i had some trouble hearing some lines at times so i actually had to go back to double check what black arachnia had said and i was like did she say i like it rough and i went back and double checked oh she hella said i like it rough all right yeah 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 um and uh it was pointed out i'd missed the rc bit but like every single uh woman black arachnia saw she definitely had uh something to say uh that was quite positive uh the cute pink one i believe was the rc line but uh yeah, it, it was just a, it was a nice surprise that it wasn't like oh we get to we we have a show where we can say damn so we're gonna have Black Arachnia be like straight up horny like it was still fun you know it was like fun comic booky like not yeah. like 
sweaty stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, they could have easily gone there because you know Black Arachnia was the femme fatale in Beast Wars. Like they yeah. absolutely could have yeah. gone that direction. So I'm, ha- I'm happy they didn't lean too hard into that one. And the, like the heights of it was at the very like, and I, I had a moment when she first appears in robot mode. The camera shot starts with a massive close up of her crotch, uh, and it just kind of like very slowly starts to go up. And I was like, okay. But, you know, that was, from then on, got better. (laughs) Um, For me, what I'm going to say is um, I was pleasantly surprised, and I actually quite enjoyed, after uh, a couple episodes, uh, a lot of the voice cast, um, especially uh, Dinobots um, actor, uh, who is, uh, I believe, a hip-hop artist. Um, I got to look up his name, because I I can't remember it. But um, uh, uh, Chris Calico. Um, really kicked ass in that role. Like, given, like, Dinobot, getting, having to voice Dinobot, right? You have a friggin', like, uh, planet suddenly put on your shoulders of like, okay, so that's like the most beloved character from Beast Wars with a very unique voice by a very beloved voice actor. Uh, so go to it. And I felt like, um, I felt like, uh, Chris Calico really took ownership, uh, in, in his own way. Um, and it completely suited how the character was written, and I was really digging uh, Dinobot's voicing. Um, and in general, like almost every Beast actor after the first two episodes, kind of grew on me a bit. Um, with the exception of Tigatron, but Tigatron <laughs> just stopped talking after like three episodes. Yeah. So I, you know, <laughs> self-correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was kind of uh, in the camp of like it sounded like Tigatron and Dinobot got each other's voice actors. Yeah, uh, very much. It, if I had been live tweeting for the first two episodes, um, what I'm saying now would not match up very much. Because I, I, when I was watching the first episode, I was literally like, I was like, Rat Trap has the deepest voice of the Maximals, and Tigatron has the highest pitch voice of the Maximals. What's going on? Uh, but they, they all, they all, it kind of came together. Um, and and you know, by the end of six episodes, I was, I was like, you know, I'm even turned around. I, I kind of dig the Beast Wars Megatron voice for the character that they that. Uh, was being delivered. There was some mess in the beginning that was very tonally dissonant in a lot of ways, and then it kind of once we got past that, it was like, okay, I see what this character is now. Like this, this is not Beast Wars Megatron from the '90s. This is a different iteration on the character. I, I'm fine with that if it's, you know, if it works for the story, and it more or less did. Um, it got a whole you know, thing on that guy. Yeah, like what I'll say is. Uh, when you get to your whole thing, because I want to stay on the positive. One other, one other big positive I want to throw in is um, I do think that this was better than Earthrise, and I think be- Earthrise was better than Siege. I think these have been progressively getting better, um, definitely on the back of uh, several of the voice actors and on um, the back of, of uh, at least one of the writers. Uh, I feel really weird saying it because I, I want to st- say straight up front, I don't. I don't know for a fact that May Cat is responsible for literally every single thing I liked in the writing in in these last two seasons, but it does happen that May Cat seems to be attached to the writing bits I did like in Earthrise and Siege, or uh, not Siege, Earthrise and uh, and Kingdom. So uh, there there was quality that shone through um, and ro- the little bits of cream rose to the top of whatever was in the cup, uh, regardless of what was in the cup and. Uh, and I think it was an improvement. And, and from what I can tell people who enjoyed Kingdom and who didn't enjoy Kingdom, it seems unanimous that like this was the best of the three seasons on Netflix. Um, and you know, like, say what you will about what that means in the big picture, but I, I thought that was that was pretty cool. Um, 
And uh, I have more positive things to sprinkle in throughout, I should say. I, did, I don't want to set this up like we're, now we're going to friggin' rip into it. But um, I wanted to start off with some positives because I think it is, you know, unfortunately really easy to rip into this thing a bit. Um, so going on from there, um, TJ, do you want to just go into the Beast Wars Megatron thing? Because it was literally the first thing most people were talking about with this I, show. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I feel like it's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to cover this because yeah. uh, that 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 audio clip got out before anyone even saw the show, and that audio clip in that context was really bad uh, to listen to because it was like you didn't know what was going on, you didn't see what the rest of the show was, you heard that errant yes where it felt like some like, well no someone did write it with the intent of it being you know an homage, and it felt like that. No one caught on to that <laughs> while we were recording it. <laughs> At least that was the vibe I got. TJ, I don't know. <laughs> so first um, thing, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say right off the bat, you know, get yourself someone who looks at you the way Beast Megatron in this series looks at G1 Megatron in this series. Mm-hmm. That is that is devotion. Yeah. It is like there's it's weird. It's something sacrilegious about taking what I would feel to be is one of the best Megatrons, if not the best Megatron we've had, and like turning him basically into a massive fanboy for the original. Yeah, it felt a whole lot like a decision that someone running a show who likes G1 and doesn't really know what Beast Wars is would would have as like a possibly a showrunner decision, maybe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. The weird, like, what occurred to me about it, what makes it somewhat, I don't know, I can see where the origin of this is. It it screams of someone in the writing room who went, why are there two Megatrons? Why is this guy also named Megatron? And the answer they went with is, he's a fanboy. Like, he's just obsessed with the original Megatron. That's almost something to me that seems like it could have been like a game of telephone. Where the person that knows Beast Wars is like, no, he named himself Megatron because he saw himself like the previous Megatron from ages past. And then the next one, next person down the line was like, oh, no, he really liked Megatron because of what he'd done. And the next person was, okay, so he's a fanboy. And yeah, the the thing, the the thing that like the, the out here is the fact that if they had done a more accurate Beast Wars Megatron, this show would maybe not have worked the way no, they, the way they said yeah. everything cuz the story doesn't from, accommodate that i don't think yeah yeah aside from the fact that you those two megatrons would be opposing once you get to like the finale and you you get in galvatron in there too it would it would be just chaos like and not yeah. not in like a good oh this is interesting kind of way just like no this this is kind of messy so. You'd have you'd have to be writing a different overall story. I, I think it could work, but it would be a different story. And like, just, like th- this is where I start to say my bit about how I felt like more than in Earthrise, that it felt like the writers were doing one thing, and it felt like they were in a friendly but active knife fight with the decision maker at the top. In just a really, it, and it really is exemplified by how you have a, a Beast Megatron who is not. The Beast Wars Megatron we know, and that's fine. But one of the writers sees who the character is and slips in a few affectations because, you know, it's an homage. It's something this character says. And then those remain in the script, but the uh, casting and the director 
and I guess the showrunner all ignore it and just figure like, oh, I guess that's what the writer wrote. And like, don't act upon any of it whatsoever in a baffling way <laughs> that feels like, all right, so you had a writer who literally knew what this was and, and then you, you kept it cause you didn't know what it is and you didn't ask. I don't know. Yeah. It's really confusing. That, and, yeah. And that, seems that like, seems like that's show. a yes. Like that's a yes that should have had notes on it. Like drawn yeah. out and. It, here's a YouTube clip. Like, yeah, because yeah, the, like, the, I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure you can get those voice actors hyperlinks, like, or or the the voice director, because that's the thing. I mean, there's good names as voice actors on here, and and I think a lot of them did a good job. But I think that you know, I same problem we, I I've I had with the previous two shows is I think the voice direction was just not on par, not. No, it wasn't. Like, like <laughs> almost, not like it wasn't there, but almost that it was, like, counter to. Yeah, it was part of the knife fight to me. Like, and I say knife fight, but friendly, because it's like, obviously, everyone's working together on the show, and it's not, I don't think there's, like, tons of ill will, necessarily, mm-hmm. but... It, there was active combat going on, and I and I felt this way in hindsight about Earthrise as well, with all the interesting ideas that would get summarily executed within twenty minutes of being presented mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of the larger story. And here's what I'm going to say about the yeses: because Maycat has shared screenshots of the scripts, and probably not for the purposes I'm using here. However, the first yes is not only italicized. It has six E's and two S's and three dots afterwards. And then the next yes is again italicized with three E's and two S's. And it's like, I don't, I don't know how you look at that and not get it. You know, mm-hmm. when, you, when you're in the booth and when you're directing who's in the booth, both like the first one, especially there are six E's. <laughs> like, what do you think it means? Why would the writer do that? Unless you were supposed to be like, yes! And like, even the delivery on it was like, You're, that's Megatron, isn't it? Yes! At last! And it's like, you have six E's, my friend. Like, <laughs> and I, that was, I mean, that I was bet maybe you the actor, two E's at most. Well, I bet you the actor, it's another thing we're never going to know. There's no way the actor wouldn't have drawn it out. So I feel like the actor drew it out, you know, maybe not knowing what it meant, and then was told like, or, you know, asked about it, and was probably told like, oh, just do it like a, like a, you know, pronounced yes, and that's it. Like, it's so weird. It's so weird. And to be honest, as much as I think it's cool to do the homage, I think that like homaging David Kay when the overarching story calls for a very different character just makes things even more like confusing. Uh, mm-hmm. and it, it left open room for people to just crap all over that poor Beast Wars Megatron yeah. in Kingdom. Well, mm-hmm. uh, and, and not just with Megatron. I think that all of the characters, like, if you're going to write the character to be a lot like the Beast Wars character was, then you need to connect that more or write them completely differently than the Beast Wars character was, except for maybe yeah. a wink and a nod. I mean, that was the thing. Like, Rat Trap, you know, like you said, had one of the deepest voices and also, like, never seemed like Rat Trappy to me. So here, he was here's the thing I learned there. 
here's what I learned about Rat Trap afterwards, because I didn't really keep up with the cast listing. Rat Trap was a full, like, that was Frank, who does Starscream, who picked up doing Rat Trap and basically was trying to do the Rat Trap voice as much as possible. Uh, and, you know, and I think as the episodes went on, he was doing, he was hitting it a lot harder and a lot better than episode one. But, it, like, it felt like that was entirely the actor doing a bit and mm-hmm. then confirming to people, like, hey, his voice works, right? And, like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, like, the, well, because it's, not even, Dinobot, just, it's you know? not even just voice, though. It was like, what were his actions? What, yeah. like, uh, it, it, it seemed like there was a disconnect there. Well, and, know, and, well I, and with all that disconnect, like, and again, I hate to keep citing one writer, but May Cat has presented, you know, a lot of, you know, as a writer, kind of, I'd call evidence that May Cat really was responsible for how solid Dinobot uh, was uh, mm-hmm. in, in at least dialogue. But there's like, how do I put this? I feel like the writers did fine. And then were never spoken to again. And then the work they did was received with like half understanding. And then the folks who received it just like ran with it, half understanding it. And I don't know. There's such a huge disconnect to me uh, that mm-hmm. I can detect um, between the people who wrote the words and the people who wrote the overarching idea and who made decisions at the end. And it, it's extremely distracting to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, be, Predacon, Megatron, you know what? At least they didn't... F- I genuinely thought they were going to follow through when G1 Megatron was like, he, need to change his, he needs to change his name. Like, he needs to stop being Megatron. Like, it was a cute bit how Megatron get, kept getting confused calling another guy Megatron. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked that, but I was really worried that, like, it was going to be, oh yeah, we're going to actually stop calling him Megatron, we're going to make up some name for him, or we're just going to call him T-Rex or something. And I was like, I mean, if you, want, if you got it, you got it. But, like... It really tastes un unfriendly to <laughs> to the beasts <laughs> in these opening episodes. Um, I, I I will say I really liked how Beast Megatron was incredibly threatening when he was actually on the battlefield. Like they presented him as like a nigh indestructible threat in a way that I thought really worked without it being like overblown. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, it was it's it's a cool take because it's like. He is powerful in the Beast Wars cartoon of old, but like I felt like this Megatron was like really presented as like, oh, by the way, if he bites you, like your limbs are gonna come off. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, something about like when he turned T Rex, it wasn't just like it wasn't just a show off a mode or show off a toy. Like he was out for blood as soon as he went full T Rex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I it liked was, him it was messing threat- up. Yeah. Like when he like messed was, up the the nameless seeker, who was like when they when the Decepticons were like, we don't take orders from you, so he just like bites one until his arms come off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was yeah, fun. just like yeah, like him just sliding down the hill, charging into battle, like that, that. Like that's a move. That there's some intimidation there. And he he was shrugging off a lot of firepower. I was I was noticing because I kept mm-hmm. waiting for them to kill him because I figured like, well, you've gone this far. Like, are you just going to have the dude like get get offed during this story? And yeah. I, he was super durable. <laughs> he was mm-hmm. tanking. Like, it was really cool. Yeah, there, I was actually happy with how much I saw the beast modes used rather than just like they weren't used for just vehicular or, or uh, movement purposes like we actually got mm. to see a lot of the a lot mm-hmm. of them in combat too 
Rhinox oh, yeah, needs Dino to stop. Doing that. Oh yeah, Rhinox needs to stop charging things. Uh, yeah, they they that, were that, uh, <laughs> that never worked. They were really crisscrossing man who turns into Rhino with men we are defining as super genius. Mm-hmm. And it was like whenever he turned into, they called him a, they had Wheeljack call him a genius in like the biggest like look. Even Superman says he's strong kind of way, mm-hmm. but also he kept running headfirst at things in fights. And I was like, y'all, come on, you can't you can't have both. <laughs> There's something really weird about like seeing a Rhino get deadlifted and thrown aside. Also, I kind of Rhinox was the really big one for this. At one point during the show, I was sitting there and I was going, you know. They showed that the Rhino was the same size as Hound's Jeep mode. They they kind of yeah. showed that all the Beast characters are the same size as Giant V. Never mind. Never mind. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah they did not. <laughs> I had a moment where I was like, "Wait." <laughs> the out uh, here is the out here is that we never see the Cybertronian cast as Earth vehicles, so technically scale has no point. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, um, rhinoceroses aren't small, fully grown. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. I'm just we're just a couple of degrees off, not a whole lot, until there's giant scorpions running around. Yes, actually, yeah. kind of small T Rexes and really big gorilla. Oh no, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, and then it that gets spider. Weirder. Oh, yeah, it gets yeah. really weird as time goes on. Uh, Aaron, let's go over to you. What's uh, have you got a bit you want to? Is there something that you, that's really like just in your mouth? You got to you got to get out of your mouth. <sighs> that the rinse and repeat from the previous two seasons of the way to add gravitas to somebody like Optimus Prime isn't making him take longer to. They were talk. trolling. They were trolling me. They, in fact, I took it as an attack on me personally that in episode one they had him speaking slower than ever and kept going like oh but also he's injured so it makes sense and i'm like aha yeah, yeah. it's funny that's like uh yeah you do you do you friggin are you one of those min maxers in D or whatever as well do you <laughs> do you come up with reasons why you can be annoying so you can keep being because yeah and, it, it was, and it's a thing that like you know okay if he's injured there are other ways that you can sh- show that he's injured you can physically show that he's injured not just like the crackle across the cab chest some you know you have him like armor missing you have him like you know maybe hold his side and well, someone yeah, put a lot of work into that crack like a, okay like a, like a couple of lines and then and then like you know there are, are ways that you can do some of that stuff not just that's the iconic siege crack very slowly for yeah, no can i can i say again jake foshi has played Optimus Prime to an exponentially higher degree of quality before this show. Mm-hmm. And I'm frustrated that this is how Jake Foshi was directed to speak for this trilogy, because it's all people talk about now, and yeah. I think it's really unfair. Uh, and and people are like, well, it's what you get when you go non-union, and it's like, I don't really want to crack that can of worms open again, but yeah. like, that, please that has... stop conflating union on union with quality of of acting. Conflate it with the treatment of the actors. Don't conflate it with their ability, especially when like they freaking did a better job on another show with the same character. Uh, and and you know, and the non union thing also, I think, is really unfair to some of the highlight voice actors. Uh, like Frank Totoro, like like Jason Marnoka, like Chris Calico, um, 
Gene Carr's Black Arachnia is dead solid as well. Like, you know, you can't you can't crap all over the good performances uh, at the same time. It's not fair. Uh, but yeah, that Optimus, the Ellipses stuff. That episode one in general was really frigging rough, voice acting-wise, in my opinion. Uh, I think episode one, everyone was operating at like at like... I don't know the timelines. It felt like episode one was the first thing everyone recorded after like a year of lockdown. Like, it just, everything was slow, everything was meandering, the Beast actors all sounded like they were on, like, take zero, it sounded like they were doing the rehearsal take before the actual takes. Yeah. Um, Like, all right, let's do the silly one, and then that's the one they took. Yeah, because every Beast actor, aside from Tigatron, was doing a way better job by episode three. You know, all due respect to Tigatron, it's just like whoever was playing Tigatron also had a kind of an awful voice to have to deliver in the first place. Um, and, uh, you know, Tigatron really was the, was a, a bump in the road in this, this season. Like the, the Air Razor story was very rushed. And it didn't make Tigatron look any good. It just made Air Razor mm-hmm. look good. There's the part where Rat Trap tried to shorten Tigatron's name to Ty, and I was like, please don't. Like, please don't do that again. And they didn't. <laughs> but that was it reminded me of, of a wrestling thing when when Hunter Hurst Helmsley then went by Triple H, then once an announcer tried to push calling him Try. Uh, and it didn't work. And and the same thing is with Tiger. You can't call Tigatron Ty. No one believes mm-hmm. it. No one no one's gonna buy into that. <laughs> Uh, but, um, look, Optimus Prime took so long to say all of his lines, they had to find all the places to squeeze half seconds back in. <laughs> I was doing my Twitter defense squad work for Jake Foshi again, who I hope is a nice person and appreciates all this. And mm-hmm. one of the best things I saw to explain his worst performance in Kingdom, was, I think it was David Willis, who was like, er- between every word, they'd hit him with a, with a, a, a taser. And just give him an electric shock between every word. And as you know, that actually is what it sounds like. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I would like to, uh, I would like to hit a bit more about the beast characters. Um, let's get the sleepers out of the way. Cheetor, uh, started to sound a lot, a lot like Cheetor about halfway through the show, but also Cheetor was a very much a background character in the show and didn't really do much. Um, same thing for Tigatron. Tigatron's voice never evened out, so Tigatron just stopped speaking about halfway through. Uh, I thought Air Razor was pretty solid, um, especially given that Air Razor was covered in Moonracer death flags the moment she showed up. Um, if we all recall, Moonracer showed up with a very uh, unique, solid voice, said two things, and then had her arm torn off by a zombie and died. Uh, and I thought they were about to do the same thing to Air Razor when I noticed that we were only seeing Air Razor in bird mode. And I was like, if I don't see a robot mode soon, she's about to get shot. <laughs> and then when she turned into a robot, I was like, oh, thank goodness. There's no way. There's no way you're going to off this character. But then I was like, wait, but Skylinks. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was really uh, pleased that they, that they didn't edgelord out on Air Razor and, you know, have her get killed off so that we know it's, it's rough stakes. Um, it's an adult right- show. Yeah, you know, even though they, well, they, they, I'm going to say the other thing right after this, but, uh, Rhinox was total middle of the road. Uh, I thought the voice was like fine. It wasn't amazing, but it never really got bad. Rhinox also spent a lot of the show off screen with Wheeljack and Ratchet being smart and, uh, it kind of got left out, I felt. Um, 
We've talked about Dinobot and Black Arachnia. They were straight up highlights from the Beast cast. We talked about Megatron, who's a, a, a topic. I don't think Scorponok ever said anything. Or I should no, say, I don't think any of no. the Scorponoks ever Scorponox said anything. Ever said anything? Yeah. They have accredited voice actor, but I'm guessing it was for an UG. Um, and uh, this is a real quick one. I I don't mind Scorponok being the the troop builder. I think it's super weird to do that without ever even once mentioning it, and just having fifty of them show up after you had a scene with just one and Astro Train in which the one Scorponok seemed to just be a guy called Scorponok, and then suddenly, like, five of them show up in a scene, and no one says anything. Like, I just found it mm-hmm. very confusing. I assumed I forgot a line that other Scorponok said in Earthrise, where he was like, I'm the last of the Scorponoks, or whatever, and I was like, maybe this is supposed to, like, be related to that. Uh, it, was, it wasn't terrible, it just was weird. Um, Optimus Primal was, to me, very Rhinox tier but mm-hmm. he also featured a lot more. Uh, I don't think the actor was bad. I think the actor had a real rough time in episode one, as they all did. I think by the end, Optimus Primal's actor was doing fine. Uh, I think Optimus Primal's story arc was a big old mess, though, because he started off like you know, incredibly angry at, at, at and kind of distrustful of the Autobots, and like that's fine. He mentioned Nemesis, and then they kind of. They they kind of never mentioned they they never cleared that up until the very last second, which was very odd. But like Optimus Primal had just a really I thought weird story arc for someone who did feature on screen a whole lot. He mostly seemed to be there to to tell Optimus Prime to yell at Optimus Prime about what's going on or to like help him, I guess. But like yeah, it was like he initially it was like exposi- exposition machine. Yeah, like what's really happened, and still not entirely sure if it actually like was it actually time tra- did they time travel back or was the, no, the beast the beast characters stasis, time traveled back they time traveled back okay yeah there there were a few points in times where I just kind of blanked in watching it but yeah so it's like exp- expedition exp- expedition exposition machine into like frustrated well i guess this is the way that it is type of deal and yeah it was an odd odd arc to take with no like direction out of it yeah and like i know that again one of the writers may cat was thinking beast machines to a certain degree by the end when primal was like looking at uh at the arc i think and calling it a miracle uh or something like that, um, and or I can't remember what he was calling a miracle, but like uh, he, he and he had this this moment with Dinobot's ghost that felt like it was really going to go somewhere. He had a moment in the Allspark Chamber that felt like it was really going to go somewhere, and I feel like if it went somewhere, it did it so quietly I didn't really notice. Uh, so Primal was just kind of odd in this show. He they had they had a lot of moments of him and Optimus Prime doing stuff, which was like conceptually super neat. Uh, but like I I couldn't really tell you what Primal's story arc in this really was because I felt like it was facing opposition from the intended overarching story at at a lot of points. Um, and um, 
Oh, there was something I was going to say that I forgot now. I'll, I'll, it'll come back to me. But while I try to have that come back to me, uh, TJ, let's go back to you. Is, is there another uh, another point about Kingdom that might be floating forefront in your mind? Uh, well, you mentioned so much of the Beast cast, I feel like it's my obligation to go on about Dinobot. Yes, that is the natural place to go. So, I understand it's Dinobot. There's a particular direction his character usually takes. That yeah okay I I like I can I can kind of exp- I can kind of go with that fine. There is almost part of me that was slightly offended by just how close they were trying to get to it. Like like yeah, like yeah. well well aping some of the lines from Code of Hero. That was very much the the intent. Uh, again. I'm sure I know there were other writers. I'm just I've only seen one who shared a lot of stuff on Twitter. Maycat wrote a bunch of that episode and was very much like very much doing Code of Hero homages. Apparently, at least one line got actually cut out uh, in the final product that was also Code of Hero related. Uh, and it it was definitely the known like you know the if if Beast Wars has G1 tier nostalgia memories, Code of Hero is the one for Beast Wars. Oh yeah. I, I can see how that is the you know a decision that one would come to. Uh, I mean, I can absolutely see why you go that route. Like, it's just, I, I guess that's just the fate of a Dinobot is to like realize that he's not really meant to be on the side he's on, and then you know, basically die trying to redeem his past sins. I kind of go ahead, go ahead. There was something. There was something odd about this Dinobot in that, like, it, it was it was shown that like early on he was not really a fan of this Megatron, but he was still going with him. He. Oh, I remember the point I was going to make now because it relates to this. He also participated in the in the murder of at least two hundred Maximals, <laughs> as stated on screen. Yeah. That, that's part, where all yes. the other Maximals were. <laughs> And and so it's like I'm glad you came around, my man. Also, two hundred yeah. dead Maximals, huh? Could, could you have done that like a hundred Maximals ago? A hundred and fifty <laughs> yeah. Maximals ago? Yeah. Like something because it it makes for again just a very strange character arc, and I I, I hate saying it, but like I I found doing co- the what I I saw Chris McFeely call the Code of Hero speed run was probably <laughs> the most uninteresting decision you could have made for Dinobot in this show because like up until the moment that Optimus Prime walked out of the mist I thought I genuinely was like oh holy crap are we going to do what I love about like time travel things cuz Dinobot's done co- he does the Code of Hero thing but for the the active living matrix of leadership and then he's sitting there holding the matrix talking to it saying please like I just help me I I and I kept waiting for the Transformers Prime moment where like the Matrix just like kicked in and brought him back to life. Yeah, or Matrix says, you know what? Open that chest up. You've proven yourself. And yeah. then we we get our real time travel shenanigans. See, and I was that, like see that's that's the opportunity you have with retellings like this and uh yeah, we didn't get that. Like, I was like, narratively, this makes the most sense because uh, Optimus Prime in this trilogy, his storyline is that it is all his fault. So, the Matrix ditching him for someone who just gave, like, put their everything on the line uh, on their own, 
like this, like it all made so much sense. I was half misremembering the 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 sticker card that's with like Wave Three Kingdom Toys with like the you know the what if Dinobot got reformatted by Unicron thing, and I misremembered that, and I was like, wait, was there like a thing where he had the Matrix? And like, is this gonna? And I was so excited. And then when Optimus walks out of the mist and takes the Matrix from him, I was like, you what? And then when they did. When they did the the dying Dinobot and everyone is bummed out scene, I was like, "Wait, you can't do this!" When yeah. he hasn't, he spent. So I forgot at that point he, about he, the two hundred dead Maximals, but yeah. I was like, especially when Rat Trap was like Chopper Face, and I was like, "Yeah, you have that's spent the, no time together." Yeah, they have done. <laughs> yeah, they have done nothing to earn that. It's mm. just like just like really just crowbarred in referential stuff. You know, and same thing. Like, Dino, so Dinobot, call, Dinobot calling him vermin. Okay, fine. He's he's an opposing enemy. Okay, but yeah, that was weird. I will and, say, and, and like, Primal, I will say, Primal like, doing or good, good. No, 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 no. What are you doing? Well, Primal doing the whole bit where he's when Dinobot's like, you know, I thought about joining you, and like again, that's a time travel. What if thing you can do is like reference what did happen as though it didn't, and then mm-hmm. Primal's like, yeah, you would have been terrible. And then yeah, Dinobot's yeah, like, yup, and then dies. I, and, I, I and hate I, that. I hate that. I hate that's <laughs> the thing I was going to bring up. Okay, so first Dinobot laying there dying, and it's tell my tale to those who ask, tell it truly, the old deeds along with the good, and let me be judged accordingly. The rest is silence. This Dinobot's final words are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's be real, though. Then... They're not his final words, because again, I get this little moment where Optimus Primal finds Dinobots ghost wandering around, and I was like, yo, am I about to eat crow? Because I was literally just saying to someone who was watching what I was, I was like, I was just, like, it really sucks that, like, Chris Calico was killing it as probably the best performance of all the Beast actors, and so they killed him off halfway through the show. And then the next episode, we see his ghost, and I was like, wait, is this the way we're going to flip it? Like, instead of having a Dinobot 2 or anything, like, because of the AllSpark is floating around here, Dinobot's ghost is just chilling out, and maybe, like, has, you know, some some honorific spirituality as a robot warrior, and maybe gets reformatted into... What if he gets reformatted into Beast Wars Grimlock's body with the color scheme and the faceplate? That's feasible for the budget of this? And they got mm-hmm. a toy coming out! And then he turns into a, a ball... <laughs> And goes into the AllSpark, never to be seen again. And I was just like, you had two chances to not do the thing everyone thinks you're going to do. And with this show, especially with this story, it's like, I wish more risks had been taken. Because it was it was just frustrating to me how, how, like, instead it was just this, like, weird speed run of Dinobot's story arc in bullet point form. And... And then it kind of felt like the show was also like waiting for me to say how much it was doing the thing that I know. And and I was just, I want like if the show was, it was an entity, I felt like it was wiggling its eyebrows at me the whole time. And I just wanted to slap it. Like you, like you can't just do yeah. unearned references like this. Y'all. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's one of the, the points that is what sticks under my skin of you know, if you want to tell a new story, tell a new story. And if you're going to copy the old story, get it closer. But this, or like little wink and nod things, yeah, okay. But it's like you're you're winking and nodding a whole lot, and then diverging, but not diverging all the way, because you feel yeah. like you got to bring it back to what the old story was. 
but then you know with again you know back to the the chopper face thing you know that there's nothing earned in there there's so uh yep so here, here's what I, here's the thesis I'm going to say. This is going to be a bit hot takey, but I swear it's coming from a good place. Uh, if you're going to have something like this, where you take you know the Beast War story we know, which is already time travel oriented, and then you mm-hmm. further put a wrinkle in with like, but then new time travel wrinkles. Let's say it's because of the Dead Universe. The Autobots and Decepticons are awake when they land, while the Beast Wars characters are already there. It's like okay. If you want to see an example of what you should be doing, watch the first 20 minutes and only the first 20 minutes of Terminator Genesis. That is what I want to see out of this stuff. Where you have Beast Wars getting invaded by toy line Neo Classics G1, where, as in Terminator Genesis, you had like Terminator 1 getting invaded by Terminator 4, and then their fight got invaded by Terminator 2. And like, when you got to get Terminator. You got to get chaotic like that, and you and, yeah. and have have fun, and don't be predictable. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, when you're doing a story like this, because when when your basic outline is like Beast Wars meets G one, to just do a bunch of Beast Wars plot points, but G one characters are standing there, is is like I don't know. It's it's not boring. It's just really unexciting, and sort of ties into the overall like the air that the the cloud that hangs over mm-hmm. this trilogy and the last one sadly it's what i come to expect from the fj desanto trilogies is this like joyless dour cloud that sucks that kind of wild chaotic excitement out of everything i'm watching and and you have you have writers and you have voice actors who are giving it their all and doing interesting stuff that they can inside the cloud and and so you have these little moments but it's all under this like this this uh dour joyless storm this this hanging uh, uh fog um and i and i hate saying that because it it's really easy to blanket statement uh those critiques on a lot of people who i think were really doing their damnedest to make this good um you know, uh, many of those voice actors and at least one of the writers, I'm sure more than one of the writers, I just, you know, again, I only saw tweets from one, <laughs> but like, you know, those folks included. Um, so yeah, uh, Dinobot f- was really good while he was there, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Code of Hero thing is, is, it's interesting. I think it's the first time we've seen the we've seen a beast wars thing get the treatment that the 86 movie always gets in other transformers media where it's like used as things you're supposed to say and i wonder going forward like if other shows that get referenced like you know as time goes on are we going to see that 86 style reference um sometimes for worse uh for other things like i don't know if armada starscream shows up in a thing like is he always going to get shot by an orbital laser from a moon or something like that I mean, I mean, you talk about that, but we already saw an Armada Starscream thing in this series. We did, and because hey, we're good, I, good. I'm, I'm learning that I really enjoy the Starscream that face turns after being scared to death by Unicron. So, so I think Starscream in this series uh, was a high point, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of it has been from Frank's voice acting. But in mm-hmm. Kingdom, Starscream had a legit arc, and they didn't do the predictable thing, which just makes my point. So, I, yeah. I expand Starscream. Uh, 
it's, it's such a cool series of events when you just lay them out like this without, again, that kind of joyless cloud that's hanging over the whole thing when you watch it. Starscream decides to take the the golden disc, which in this is something different. It's it's Megatron's journal right before he got turned into Galvatron. It sounds like right up to the point he got turned to Galvatron and then like the disc shot out the back of his head or something. Uh and Starscream decides to break the rules of time travel and just listen to the whole thing. I love it that when he got to the end, it was like a frigging SCP, and Unicron actually just, like, started talking to him through the audio, like, through the CD. He's like, you finish the CD, and then the CD starts saying, so, Starscream, what did you think? of Like, it was so cool and creepy. And then Starscream's reaction was fantastic, the way it completely altered his his motivations, but didn't alter his character, was super solidly written. And then, the very last moment, I was like, and here we go, now here's where Starscream gets killed, because that's what you're supposed to do. Whenever you involve anything about the 86 movie, oh, here, Megatron's gonna kill Starscream, I'm sure, and then Starscream has his line, like, I can fly, and I'm like, and he's about to get shot, but then he just he kicks himself free and flies away! And I was like, holy crap, and then at the very end of the show, it's like Starscream's alive, and he know he still knows what Unicron is. And I'm like, he you covered him in Death Flags, much like Air Razor. Another great surprise, although that's mm-hmm. more a surprise in the context of you know an FJ DeSanto bit. It's like you you didn't take the rote referenceable obvious way out. You actually did. You managed to slip it into a a, a twist that I enjoyed. And Star, so Starscream's story in Kingdom is like, is like proof of what I want and what my critiques are, is that you did it! And it was for the better. So, mm-hmm. when I look at the Dinobot story, I'm like, hey, this, you did, you did one like that, and you did Starscream's the other way? Probably should have done both like Starscream's, but I don't run the show. Uh, cause yeah, that, that Starscream story went to a sudden place that I really enjoyed. Uh, even when he was interacting with Black Arachnia and Dinobot, and basically the two characters from the future were just going like, you know, not exactly, but they were basically going like, yeah, Starscream, like, we know everything about you because, you know, you're dead where we come from, <laughs> and you're a footnote, and here's why. And it's like, it was, I thought it was really cool, even if it was a bit kludgy in delivery of like basically, you know, tearing the sleeves off this guy and just going like, listen, all that stuff happened to you? Also, you're a piece of crap. Historically, it's proof. You died as a piece of crap. That's all you were. Like, being told that from the future. <laughs> there, there is there is part of me that is amused that there is this little sub-team of the three most infamous traitors in Transformer history. <laughs> so understated, too. Like, it, it, it was on par with when Cyberverse had Bumblebee, Hot Rod, and Cheetor as a trio for a few episodes. Uh, where you, you you take three thematically linked characters and just like slam them together, uh, but yeah, I, I had to gush a bit about Starscream since we were we were already flowing into that. Aaron, I wanted to to go to you next. See if there's anything uh, else floating around in your head you wanted to hit up. Uh, no the you know, the the flip side with Starscream um, was one of the things that was on my mind. Uh, the other one uh was what like halfway through what was that season or episode four or five where the arc apparently is having issues and entirely transforms off screen to be there for two minutes and then lose sentience again to have a really cool yeah so this is some earthrise stuff going on again (laughs) this is some skylinks all over again you get this 
kind of cool, like long game explanation, which is you know a little predictable because we know the toys, right? Mm-hmm. Then the arc has its scene, and you know it transforms off screen as a lot of characters do in the show. But at least they delivered it as like you know this shape in the smoke, like erupting forward, and then uppercuts the nemesis and it's like that's pretty cool and then saves the day captures megatron this and that explains that it saw like the multiverse and plucked from the multiverse the plans to have a transformable body and it's like this is all really freaking cool and in the next episode the arc crash lands and is never spoken of again Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was like wait (laughs) why would <laughs> I don't know. There's so much I can say, right? Because it crash lands, and it's like, oh no, we got to face two heralds of Unicron. If only we had some k- kind of thing to help us, some yeah. great new power of some sort. It's like, but couldn't it, he have just? Couldn't he have just like caught himself with his hands? Couldn't he have transformed before? Yeah, before he landed, and then like I don't huh? know, did a flip, uh, do, do a push up. Okay, yeah, these actually do an Iron Man well. landing or something. Like, yeah, I I suspect the idea is because they had to remove the all spark from him that erased all that. I would assume is the idea, but. And there are times where I don't need things spelled out to me, for sure. But, like, that that's one of the times where, like, it would have warranted, like, a throwaway yeah. of someone saying, why don't we have the ship turn into a giant robot again? And, yeah. <laughs> and then saying, like, oh, it can't. Or even just this. with, oh, no, without the AllSpark powering it, blah, 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 blah. Okay, move yeah. on. Yeah. Not Say, just like, hey, we got this cool giant robot and well, they, forgot they about got, it. They got Unicroned. They got Unicron powered by by Galvatron and Nemesis. It sounded like out of the dead universe. Is like that's what that purple cloud I think was supposed to be. So you could have even said like, oh no, whatever that energy spike was, it just knocked out Teletran again. Mm-hmm. I can't. I gotta. We gotta land and repair this or something. I don't know. It, it's a little thing in the bigger picture of this, but it, it just it reminded me of Earthrise and Skylinks a whole lot. <laughs> like, well, time to get rid of it. <laughs> It was a cool moment, though. Like, like it was a better moment than when the Machinima trilogy tried to do it with uh, with Fort Max and stuff. Mm-hmm. Remember that Fort Max sequence where, like, for eight hundred years he was transforming. This is this is like years ago. So it's probably easy to forget. But I just always remember. Vaguely. It just kept going on and on and on, and it wasn't cool. It yeah. was just like boxes sliding around. <laughs> uh. But yeah, the yeah, the the arc, you know, it appeared. Um I, I know I saw one thing where, where folks were saying, like, oh, it's weird that they didn't get the commander class toy in this year with Rodimus, and I was like, You're right, but they got the arc in, and I I think getting the arc in is a lot more work than getting uh Omega or Scorponok in. Like Scorponok they did kind of like a sort of left field explanation, but the arc is already in the show. So like you know, they had to do a bit of work to do that, I think. Um but uh you know that that naturally brings us to the the kind of there's, there's two other really big moments in my head but one of them is Galvatron and Nemesis Prime and how like they they kind of the, that last episode very much felt like like I don't know <laughs> can I can I just call it rushed like that's kind of how it felt it's like we did this sort of this story with the beast characters and then mm-hmm. we have one more episode where it's like oh right Galvatron Nemesis Prime let's do this and like I don't think it was bad, I should say. Like, I, I think the ideas were all sound. I like the idea of Galvatron and Nemesis as, like, this is how Megatron and Optimus overcame their differences, was by being corrupted and collared into slavery, basically, by Unicron. Like, it's kind of like a, a neat, dark twist on that idea. Yeah. But, 
it especially the explanation of who Nemesis Prime was and and everything. It's really, really fast how that was kind of getting pumped out. And and also their plan, and I, I really don't want to be like, a you know, some nonsense like CinemaSins about this kind of thing, going like, it doesn't make any sense, because, uh. but like, the show even straight up said, like, yo, your plan doesn't make, like, doesn't it make more sense to fix this Cybertron? Because if you go and kill your Unicron, then like, it's just the two of you in, in the void forever. And like, I appreciate that the idea could be like, oh, they're so far gone, they can't see that, you know, that that far out of their tunnel vision. But, like, again, they just didn't say anything. They just went like, no! And, like, started shooting and, and whatnot. Uh, it just felt really weird. And then the, the, the resolution of a bunch of T-posing translucent yellow retools coming down, literally in T-poses at first... And then Galvatron and Nemesis jump at them, and then the T-Pose squad didn't really even move. They just made a big wall appear, and then the, the and then Galvatron and Nemesis disintegrated. And I was like, is that it? <laughs> is that it? Also, is this you telling me no one survived the explosion at the end of Earthrise? Is this how we're yeah. finding this out? Yeah. It's how we're finding that out which is the other big thing, but I, I, that really is a whole other thing. But like, um, Galvatron and Nemesis, like they're not gone. Cause there is an end of show scene and it's, I guess become the FJ DeSanto thing to do a trilogy with a cliffhanger to nothing at the end of every trilogy. Now. Yeah. Because uh, screw resolution. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why would you want closure? Unicron says, don't worry, I saved you both, and then says a bunch of cryptic horse honky, and then puts grid lines on the two of them and, and puts them in his mouth, and says, time to try again, and it's like, it's like, dear FJ DeSanto, can you please stop exhibiting the hubris that you just expect to be given new trilogies every time you finish a trilogy? And also, your last trilogy's cliffhanger didn't go anywhere that time, so Why? And I've seen it said that, like, because they want to go in, like, Hasbro said they're going into sort of a timelinesy thing with, um, with generations going forward. They're like, well, this is maybe to set up Unicron as, like, a singularity who's going to appear plucking, you know, his evil into all these different spaces of time. And it's like, that's cool and all, but, like, FJ DeSanto, even if you leave out that end thing, like, he, he ended the world on a weird to be continued as well. I don't know. The whole thing felt very unsatisfactory at the end. And it felt, Specifically, like, crappier Cyberverse. Because mm -hmm. the shot of the Autobots and Decepticons with their beast friends in both sides s looking at each other and saying, one of us lives on this half of the planet, the other's going to walk onto this half of the planet, is literally out of Cyberverse, except Cyberverse did it better, which is like... It, it's, it's, it's not even, it's not even like... Because that, that was like an aggressive stance. Like, Megatron is now really powerful, because now he's got a Matrix, so now it's a line in the sand. You stay on that side, we stay on this side. This is literally just them going, alright, like, there's a understanding between the two sides, and Megatron's like, I guess for now, the planet is big enough for all of us. All 20 of us. <laughs> As and, apparently well, all, all 20 of came us. to this. And then the the mm. best part of the best part of Kingdom, all twenty of us, and our giant statue to Cog, the hero of Cybertron. <laughs> Cog yeah. and Scrapface. Oh right, him too. Right, I forgot that. <laughs> I was I was hyped like, about the Cog love. 
<laughs> Isn't this a fitting tribute? You know, not Ultra yeah. Magnus. No, no. Two grunts. <laughs> not a leader one. A, not a leader yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, just these not two grunts that we have a thousand of. Yeah. No, wait, with no indicators. Co- was that with no indicators. Or, or was that the Red Cog guy? I don't know. No, it's Red Cog was alive. We, we saw was Red that, Cog was it, was, that, was that Cog or Gear or Sprocket? I can't remember now. Look, the Cog Squad. The Cog Squad deserved this. And also, and I'm glad I just want to say, we put like, all of our resources into these giant statues instead of fixing. <laughs> they were you know, so big. They were thing. so big. <laughs> you know, good thing we spent months hammering these things out together while everyone on Cybertron is like freezing to death or whatever. I I appreciate that um, that they had Cog cameo in the hallucination forest. Although it's really obvious to me, who's an expert on the canon, that Cog was actually there because he he clearly survived his orbital entry, as I said in the last podcast about this stuff. And I think it's cool that he didn't reveal himself 100% to RC so she could have some closure while he, you know, goes and, and does his secret COG missions off screen. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the friggin' the FJ DeSanto nothing cliffhanger is a real... It's becoming a trope to me. Uh, but I, I, I also, I really gotta talk about Alita and the Cybertron squad. So... 100% some folks, lots of folks, were like, they, they're they probably just dead from the explosion. Like, there's ways it was shown where they're probably dead. And I was like, there are, but there are equally as many narrative ways that they are not. And I, I would hope that they would do something interesting with this. And I am beyond disappointed that the, the I'm just going to say the showrunner's version of interesting, because I, I, until I see otherwise, I'm putting this on the feet of the person at the top. The idea was, well, we're going to just not talk about them, and at the very we're going to allude that Alita 1 maybe is is dead by having the Allspark use her visage along with Ultra Magnus's because he, you know, plucks them out of Optimus's brain or whatever. But at the very last minute to go like, no, yeah, she's like, like, A, not only is Alita dead, like, here is like a long lingering shot on her dead corpse in the, I guess, pseudo cyber snow. Um,. Mm-hmm. Which was just the most edgelord garbage. Like, I don't mind Robo-Gore, and I don't mind character death. It's just, like, the way that, that that shot was delivered, that whole sequence was delivered, was so friggin' adolescent to me. Like, it was it was just so, like, check it out. There have been consequences. And it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, you sure have been. Uh, but then, like, the rest of them, like... like <laughs> Well, everyone but Shockwave, I noticed, appearing as as uh, glowing yellow ghosts. Uh, it's just so friggin' nothing as far as impact. It's like, guess what? Yes, they all died in the explosion. It's like, okay, so like, like the way I'm reading this is that you just didn't know how to fit them and their B-plot into this mm-hmm. season, so you just left it out and then mentioned at the end that they're dead, and then you rolled it, it, it into a deus ex by like having to be T-Pose ghosts? One of those things where you're just, like, going through, and okay, we've checked all the boxes off, it's this last episode, can we do a pass over the last two seasons and see if there's anything that we missed? Oh. So what, and what really gets Dang. me is the, um, the timelines, right, of how the show was made is, like, it's not like any of the previous two seasons informed Kingdom as far as, like, reception. The timelines are way too tight for that to make any sense, like, mm-hmm. given that it's animation. So it's, like, there's a whole lot of things that come out of this. Is And, I mean, I'm straight up, like, the, the top thing, or one of the top things for me is just, like, to wipe out the Cybertron B-Squad and then just make them a footnote at the end, to me, is uh, unpleasant. It's negative viewer experience. Um, 
and and uh, also the the like I I will say I I saw the take of like yo look they fridge delete a one and I just like was like yep like that take makes a hundred percent sense to me because like it's just there to make Optimus feel bad. And then in the show where Optimus' whole story arc has been him realizing how much responsibility he has for everything that's happened, the ghost of Alita 1 at the very end says, like, thanks so much for everything, and I'll always love you, and then disappears. And it's like, I was like, thanks for what? And you, <laughs> Like, the moral of the story is that he, there's no consequences, but he feels bad? <laughs> like, what? You tried like, like, really hard. And I died. Alita summing up her character as like, I'm so glad I did things for you, and even though I'm dead, it's alright, I'm cool with it. And like, and a really bad taste that put in my mouth, again, the timelines are like, you know, it's not like they informed one or the other, but like, Alita 1's voice actor was such a friggin' cheerleader for this show, and a cheerleader Mm -hmm. for her character, and was so into playing Alita 1, and, and like, was probably the loudest proponent of the show from all the voice actors I'd seen, and it's like, and so... it's not like it's repayment. The timelines don't make sense for that, the production timelines. But I'm just like, my initial thought was like, so the repayment is she's written out of most of season three, and then her character is just like trash bagged, and like, that's it? Like, <laughs> this is it's just rude. Uh, and yeah, it's just very. It's like the, the show ended on episode five, with the, leaving this kind of like. All right, that was that got better as it went on. Then episode six was like fine, but then at the very last minute, just throws this friggin' rotten egg in my mouth, and I'm like, well, now I've got to sit here spitting in the sink for like twenty minutes after the credit roll, and I'm I, that's the thing I'm going to remember coming out of this. I'm trying real hard not to, but I need a few days. Um. Anyway, this is bummer because like Alita, I thought was like the highlight of Siege. Uh. And I thought the B squad on Cybertron had real potential in Earthrise, and it's just I don't know toilet flush noise, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I, I kind of went on a bit, but that one's been really boiling in the back of my head. Was there anything about about the B squad or anything I missed, or you guys wanted to to, to add to? It's I, mean, it's I I don't know. It's just you know again more frustrations. There are ways that you yeah. could have tied them into some of the time travel shenanigans or or show. Like, if you're going to see them disappear, make them, like, disappear and do something because of the time travel stuff that's happened and deal with the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey aspects of time travel stories. Like, there are plenty of things that could be done. And it, it so much of it feels like, like the first story ideas that got written down were just like, yes, that's great, let's do it. You know, not like, okay, like, let's work through this, and how does that, how does this affect what we've done before? How does it reflect on what we've done before? How does, how does any of this work other than just somebody having, I don't necessarily want to say, like, fanfic, because that's insulting in about every direction, but somebody's just like, like, these are the whiteboard ideas and they didn't talk out the whiteboard ideas. They just went print it and get a voice director that really doesn't like what he's doing. Maybe I don't know. I I, I had the point made to me um, 
that like I have a lot of critique I had a lot and still have a lot of critique on the voice direction. The point was made to me that like the person who informs the voice director of the tone to go for is the the person on top. And I I agree with that notion and I still like I I don't want to stop, you know, poking at the voice direction cuz I think that poking at the voice direction is a hundred times more accurate than insulting the voice actors um who demonstrably um are not terrible for the most part. Uh but you know, th- there is someone named as the showrunner on this thing as as well, uh, and it's hard to not look at that and go like, I feel like there, like there's a name who's a problem now for two trilogies to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and the thing you were saying about like you know the first pass ideas, it's like it's like I I agree, I think I agree with that notion, but to me that's just that informs the notion of like those gr- those broad stroke initial ideas felt like they came up with those, then brought in writers, got the writers to hone and refine some stuff, write scripts, and then those same ideas then swang back around on on moon orbit and slapped into the writing room and went like, "Oh, but also do this and this and this and this." And like mm-hmm. I I really felt like the writing was somehow at odds with the the showrunner a lot of the time in this like like the the top yeah, like level intent the, like the like the steps were in the wrong order yeah and and oh, i don't know just like like bits of the script almost being at odds with the greater storyline tonally at mm-hmm. times uh and, it and felt I, weird and it's it's like i don't know some of it wasn't like I'm sure that Hasbro, when they started the toy line trilogy, knew what the broad strokes were going to be. So I'd assume that could have gone back and informed the show production what those broad strokes were going to be. To be able to write, like, you know, if you've got a trilogy, it's it's like the three-part narrative that that you can use, even if each trilogy should have some aspects of that, like... There's a way that you can build that, and it seems like, again, something got confused, or a lot of stuff got shuffled out of order, and somebody in there really loves the J.J. Abrams mystery box nonsense of, we have to put a big mystery there, and we don't ever know what the mystery is, but we know that there's a mystery, and that it could be something. (laughs) And, like, so many of these, like sliding puzzle pieces that somebody just got the empty gap to the corner that it's supposed to be and went, it's done. And didn't necessarily realize that they weren't actually looking at a whole picture. Yeah. And and also I, on a project management level, it felt to me again, like top level controlling voices were just not in good communication and synchronization with people who were doing the work. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. It's felt very rickety and, and, and all over the place. And I don't mean to make like calls to authority because I hate that stuff, but it's just like, like I, I, I see two trilogies and I'm like, George Kirstick's name is on this, but I, I don't feel a single iota of the, the, the joyful nature of a Megas XLR in this at all. May Cat is a writer on this, along with with uh, with Brandon Easton. Uh, Brandon Easton's uh, Galaxy's comic trilogy I thought was fine. I thought it was pretty solid. May Cat is is a proven solid Transformers writer uh, in in Cyberverse with a lot of love for Transformers in all the right places and not just like shallow nostalgia stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, 
when I see these names, but I can just barely detect their flavor, I look up. I look at Mm -hmm. the showrunner, I look at Hasbro, and I look at Rooster Teeth, and I say, I feel like my problems rest up with you three somewhere. Yeah. Uh, And if the Hasbro cops are coming to shut me down for speaking the truth, then so be it. You're gonna, it's gonna take them a trilogy to get up here anyway, so I got like another year to keep, you know, kicking them in the leg or whatever. Oh no, they're going away. Um, so I don't know. I, like, like, I just don't have much confidence now when I see, you know, Rooster Teeth and FJ DeSanto. Hasbro, I can't do anything about with Transformers, right? Like, they're gonna be there regardless. But, like, I don't know. Like, I, I wish I had more confidence when I saw Rooster Teeth and FJ DeSanto, but at this point, those two names are attached to two trilogies that seem to suffer from the top down. So, you know, I can only speak to what what I am provided with as far as as far as evidence. The the scary thing about like okay, you know, the scary thing about Rooster Teeth is I would disagree with you until like a month ago. Yeah, because because here's the thing. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, so like I really love what Rooster Teeth puts out because it's like okay, so red versus blue, of course, and then Ruby. Yeah. But you know, I've you know, I've liked some of the other things that they've done. They did a show called Nomad of Nowhere that I thought was great. Uh, mm. They've done really good animation stuff. Like they've made a name for themselves. The last month or so, they've been trying out these like mini cartoons that they want to do this whole like like. Uh, like here's our uh, like on their premium service thing on their website they've been some of the most god awful pieces of animation I've ever witnessed like like literally like five minute long episodes dedicated to like cop donut humor uh, I mean you you do cite though like like a good body of work beforehand and like like, I hear you, because, I mean, I, I watched, like, a couple seasons of Red vs. Blue a few years ago when it was on Netflix up here, and I was like, no, I, I kind of dig it, like, I get where this is coming from, and, and like, I'm just double-checking, like, Rooster Teeth also have some stuff to their name, which, if I were to narrow my lens, F.J. DeSanto has these two trilogies, and producing The Spirit, which was not a good movie, and so I'm like, I... <laughs> If I am narrowing my beam to one name, I mean, yeah, there is a common denominator here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It like, really okay, so, seems to be FJ DeSanto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay, if okay, if Rooster Teeth is batting five hundred at this point, but you know the other one on the field is batting zero, I'm going to blame that guy for the team losing. Like, I will say he do- he was also a an assistant on the movie Constantine, which. I understand is is all right if you just take it as as not related to the DC character, um, but also assistant is a little bit more distant from like what one's impact would have been. I think on the production. Uh, anyway, you know I don't want to. I don't know. I don't know FJ Desanto. I don't. I, I just again I'm operating with what I'm given here, and like I I don't have a lot of faith in the dude at this point. And you know if we're moving into another toy trilogy, and I see another Netflix trilogy advertised, and it's like showrunner FJ Desanto, like what am I supposed to think? Like <laughs> you know I, I I don't know where my goodwill would be coming from if I were to see that. Uh. And uh, this sort of then goes into into my point that relates to Masters of the Universe Revelations. But before I go to that, um, is there anything else about uh, Kingdom that we want to hit up? 
Um, I'm trying to think if we if we skipped over any other major things. I, I do think it's super weird because I think they implied that there's also like a couple hundred dead Predacons as well, and uh, this is super. I think it is a really funny way to to kind of go like, hey, look, <laughs> here's our plot reason to explain the limitations of what we have to work with here. And yeah. just be happy we did this many, all right? Please, because that is kind of how I felt. Of like, we're, We should kind of just be thankful we got this many Beast characters. There's something really sad. At some point, Beast Wars Megatron is down to just like two Predacons and a bunch of Scorponox. And at the <laughs> yeah. end of the series, he's mm-hmm. technically just down to the Scorponox. Well, no, uh, Black Arachnia went with with the Decepticon mob. At oh the yeah, end. but that that's that's like United Faction at that point. Yeah, it's true. But, but also, like, I was like, I was like, what did what did Air Razor say to you? To this? <laughs> I thought, I thought you were, I thought things were going great. And now you're just taking off and you're leaving Air Razor and RC behind. And like, what did Air Razor go really... like? Go like, oh, you know your you know your friend Terrorizer. Oh yeah, I'm the one. I put I I shoved a spike right through his stomach and I I just pushed yeah. him up and down on it while he screamed until he stopped. There's room in here for like this really weird love triangle thing because like the first thing Airazor did when she got back was hug Tigatron. So I thought, mm-hmm. oh, oh, that's actually a thing in this series. And then Black Arachnia happened. Is like, oh, oh, but Black Arachnia was like, was like, here, let me show you greener pastures. And then yeah, yeah, maybe it was just as simple as Airazor was like, oh, hey, Tigatron, this is my new friend, Black Arachnia. And then like Black Arachnia is like, all right, well, I'm going with the other ones. Uh, <laughs> Look, look. I don't Black got time Arachnia, for this. She just has a thing for flying Maximals. It's just a thing. It's just how it is. Um, the, I, I, the the thing I, I wanted to mention that we, we didn't bring up, it was really cool that they showed a bit of the theft of the golden disc, and they just took the beast parts off the models and put them in silhouette, uh, a la the opening of Beast Wars Episode 1. I thought that was a decent scene. Like, that was clever. Um, that was a thrifty use of the models that was also thematically um referentially solid artistically mm-hmm. solid that was a really cool sequence because i think that's like the first time officially we've ever had anything in audiovisual media cover that right like short of the the a short botcon animation maybe um so that that was kind of neat a little had its its lunch eaten a little bit by the beast wars comic book which expanded that sequence a whole lot and obviously as a comic book was able to show a whole lot more um but i I thought that was worth highlighting uh but speaking of lunch eaten this show also came out a week after masters of the universe revelations heretofore referred to as motor motor um Hey, let me. I, I, I gotta actually throw this out because sadly, uh, Motor treads one of the board uh, rules. So, uh, we there. I, I am. I am deciding to define any angry, weird, um, off the forums arguments about the motivations of Kevin Smith. Uh, that is all considered to be politics as far as the board rules. Therefore, you can't post about it in the forum. Aaron's going to keep an eye out for that because he also has mod powers and I'm a good, uh, what's the thing that they do where you give your responsibilities to other people? Management? Delegator. Delegator. You you, you delegate hours and responsibilities out. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Aaron's going to keep an eye on that thing. I'm going to try to as well, but like, just don't be, don't bring that stink into my podcast subform, please. Um, 
And oh yeah, that, because I I now have to do the other footnote. I have critiques on Motor, so don't worry. Calm down. Anyway, uh, Motor came out a week beforehand, and Motor, in my opinion, tonally is so joyful and loving of the material it is working with in a way that is that is neither cynical nor knees and hands on the floor reverential and treating it as sacrosanct. It just has a really good vibe. It thinks that Masters of the Universe is cool, and I think it thinks that very loudly, uh, and it permeates the show. There is, to me, a certain joy about that show, and there is a certain joylessness about the, the Netflix Transformers trilogy. And I think these shows coming out within a week of each other is so fascinating because it, it's like, it, it really highlights the tonal problems I have with the FJ DeSanto trilogy. Uh, and who knew that Kevin Smith would be the showrunner to show me the, uh, the greener pasture in this scenario. Uh, I briefly thought, like, maybe F.J. DeSanto just needs some weed in his life. Uh, <laughs> and then I, it was explained to me that, like, hey, A, who knows, maybe he already has it, and B, weed still can't create the talent you're looking for. And I was like, well, that's a bit harsh, but also I don't know if I disagree. Anyway, um, I, I think that Motor tonally uh, makes me very jealous, and I'm like, why can't we have that? And also, Motor was animated by Powerhouse Animation Studio, and I'm like, why, why can't we have that? <laughs> why, did, why, does, why does Masters of the Universe get, get the fun tone and the, the cool animation house? And we get, we get this, like, <laughs> it's a bummer to me. And I'm leaving out the voice cast, because I don't, I don't want the comparison to be there of, like, you know, union versus non-union as far as quality. I think it's gross that non-union is such a thing when it also has the connotations of how much it can mistreat the actors. Uh, and, and that I find very gross. But voice quality wise, I, I, you know, I, I think the voices in this could have been a lot better, but I think these same actors could have delivered better performances with a better overall tone. Uh, and, and the motor tone is just like, if you, if you watch it, and you haven't seen it yet, if you watch it, you know, regardless how you feel about plot points, the tone of that show, like the way that the character banter uses vocabulary in an 80s cartoony kind of way just like little things like that or or i don't know just, it just doesn't feel cynical and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel um i've said joyless before it also just doesn't feel like it's grabbing me by the shoulders and going like it's time for things to be so damn serious that you can't believe it the people are gonna this is war you know, like that kind of like breathy tone that Siege had that kind of carried through all these. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, I got the impression you actually haven't watched that Motor show yet. I so have Yeah. Um, it's no rush, you know, but it, it's, it's fun. Um, TJ, did you, did you see Motor at all? Uh, no, I've not had the chance. Oh, okay. I've probably made the tone sound. I probably oversold the tone a little bit. <laughs> But it's easy to do that when you're explaining something next to F.J. DeSanto Transformers. Uh, so you know, I'm, you know, people may may well disagree. I just, I, I would probably die on the hill that like Motor's tone is what we should be having for Transformers. Um, just like something loving, and then what kills me. Cyberverse has that kind of joyful tone, especially in in seasons two and three. So it's not even 
It's not even foreign, and it's not even tied to older, higher-budget productions, which just makes it even more indefensible to me uh, with the Netflix trilogy. Anyway, that was my little point I wanted to make. Um, I feel like I do want to end on a high note. Um, So I really hope that uh, a lot of the folks involved with this Netflix trilogy are with Transformers going forward. Maycat uh, I think is one of the best TV writers that we have available to us as fans of um, Aliens from Cybertron, and I hope Maycat keeps getting work uh, writing for Transformers, because Maycat Transformers writing is pretty dang cool. Uh, I hope some of these voice actors get to exist elsewhere, because especially Frank Totoro, who killed it as Starscream, and did the best he damn well could have with Rat Trap. Uh, I hate that Frank's work is constantly, like, chained to these F.J. DeSanto productions. Same thing with Jason Marnoka. Um, those two are shackled to these lesser shows. And, and when I say lesser, I mean lesser than the talent of these two voice actors. Um... A lot of the other voices, like, you know, Jake Foshi got to be in Cyberverse and was great in it, but, like, uh, it kills me that, like, this might be our only time with some of these voice actors, and they deserve better than this. And I hope that they, they get to exist elsewhere. I hope that the the concept of Mercenary Sound Blaster gets to exist elsewhere. It kind of exists in IDW2, but it's not the same. Um, so th- there's a lot about this that I hope you know, persists, but I, I really gosh darn hope it doesn't always have to be shackled to this particular trilogy hive mind. Um, and this, sadly, I have to say the showrunner who, as far as I can tell is the commonality right across all this stuff. Um, anyway, that's, that's kind of my ending take. I, I meant for that to be an upper and I hope it still was an upper, uh, Aaron, um, I'm assuming these are doing well enough. Like, do you, what what are you hoping my, if they if they do another one of these? My hopes would be along the lines. Uh, I mean, same as yours. I think that the frustrating thing is that there's just enough good in it that it's worth like taking the time to watch. It's not like it's actually a garbage fire. It's small garbage fire it's not like a you know, like the whole dump is on fire garbage fire it's it's, it's better than machinima yeah <laughs> <laughs> like um, i hate that that's but, a knock when i say that like it's so depressing yeah. like <laughs> my my hope would be more that they take the good out of it like the the good voice actors that were there get like it's rough because I don't know everybody in the process. So to say that maybe not everybody in the process is actually a Transformers fan, yeah, uh, in there. But get more more people that are more invested, seemingly, into the process yeah. so that you can, you know, when you see that Y E E E E E S S S S S, you can say, oh, well, I know what that's supposed to be. Not, you know, give them the direction of yes. Yeah. You know, just things on that side. And I don't know if that's like you need a a script coordinator that's a turbo nerd and like drop them in to sit in on voice recordings to say, well, no, really, it's supposed to be more like 
you know, X, Y, or Z have... Maybe it's... You need more... I don't know if maybe Hasbro's completely, you know, hand... Like, hit these brand notes and as long as you don't violate the you know the brand notes or whatever then go to town i don't know if you need i mean they they kind of do right like it feels like if there's a hasbro liaison that is saying that it's like those those bullet points are being yeah. satisfied it's just yeah well, what what i'm saying is have somebody from brand that's more involved with the fiction of things or or knows more of that be involved with that you know all the way through so that you know they can be the ones to say things along the lines of like well you know like you know the yes thing or even just some of the other just random parts through there where you know, you know, like we said, it, where it seems like some portion of the writing process wasn't done in an entirely backwards manner or, or out of sequence manner, where they were. Or, or you can hard. use the people you've got. Like yeah. Maycat, yeah. I can I can confirm. Yeah, with, like, right. basically ninety nine percent confirm. Like Maycat and Frank Totoro are long. Mm-hmm. Frank Totoro's been active in the fandom since I was a teenager. Like mm-hmm. the people are right there. And like, and that, that's also like, cause I agree with what you're saying with the caveat that it frustrates me because some of those people were literally right there and in the credits. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, maybe and, it's and, a stretch to have someone do double duty, but like and, they're well, right but there. But then it also comes down to, you know, maybe that is the person then that you tap on to be a script coordinator yeah. or, or a producer at, at a different level. As someone like, okay, we know this person, we trust this person, they've got, you know, I don't necessarily want to say they got their street cred as a fan because they went to the BotCon, Hasbro tour, yeah, yeah, or any nonsense like that, either, because but... that's all that's all fuffy, but, you know, just have somebody that looks at that more, I don't, and I hate saying it from the fan's perspective, but if you're going to sit there and make something that so heavily leans into... Beast Wars. You're not doing Beast Wars for the ten year old that's picking up toy that's that's begging grandma for a toy at Walmart. You're doing Beast Wars for the people that are more our age where Beast Wars was their like one of their main touch points for Transformers and to then kind of fumble this back and forth between we're doing an homage and we're just using the characters but we're going to throw a lot of homage stuff in there. Like they needed to, to pick a direction to go with it. And, and like you said, because of the other people that are in there as writers and voice actors, it's like, it's like there was somebody in the middle that had a whole lot of say that just wanted things their way. And there was nobody on the show's side. If that makes yeah. sense. Well, and and I mean, like, again, like there was it, like there was a bad <laughs> middle manager that was. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll send this to the guys upstairs for notes, and then wrote his own notes and handed them down. I mean, can, can we call? Can we call that it. guy? Can we call that guy F.J. DeSanto? Because like, I Maybe, really I feels I like that's I don't know. the guy I mean, there, we're talking there about. Of, there are points of commonality, <laughs> but in order to uh, to maintain freedom from any sort of uh, lawyers. Um, 
You can speculate. Well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying I, I've taken, I've taken uh, 101 level math and calculus, and according to uh, my charts, uh, there there is a common element involved. Well, and you know what also... Correlation does not mean causation, <laughs> that science. I know, it doesn't. It's just like, you know, it's not a 100%, it's just a 99%. And, you know, 1% miracles can can happen i guess uh the the other thing that kind of kills me is like is like really because i'm just like can we just like bump may cat up the ranks or something because may cat gets it but like we got other creatives who get it and have worked in tv marigreed scott pops to mind immediately as someone who could have handled a story like this with a hundred times more aplomb uh who has worked on tv and has worked comics and has you know quote unquote show run uh one of the most interesting series in idw1 uh phase two if you want to get mathematical um and uh you know i when you have when you have quality people right there and the show does not represent the quality that I know they are capable of to the point where they have done that quality elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It's immensely frustrating. Um, TJ, what what do you want out of another trilogy? <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I want them to take lessons from this and learn that you can change things up and take some risks and try and create something unique instead of just treading over the same ground again i was already kind of frustrated with this trilogy because it was just it's back to the all spark and it's back to launching the all spark off of earth off of cybertron and then running to earth to get it and like i've seen this multiple times i (laughs) do not i do not want to see it done in a far more budgetary limited limited venue um I really want like you you and you brought it up like you're giving you're doing time travel shenanigans in kingdom you know okay let's play with that you know let's do something different let's do the unexpected thing you know like don't give me this super somber ending where like this entire B team that was like 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 the plucky ones like managing to carry on the war without Optimus Prime oh they all died off screen um great uh <sighs> Good. Uh, Dang. Like that's the, yeah. Like, I mean, that's the opportunity where, like, if they're traveling, like, okay, we'll we'll put a little time travel in here, and they arrive before that happened. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't even think about that part, but yeah. <laughs> I don't, this is so this is so much like I don't know. So much mess, and 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 it's it's just such. It's still. I would say my my evaluation from Earthrise stands true. I would say this trilogy is solidly Galaxy Force tier, where Galaxy Force had some cooler moments, but was fifty episodes long. This was you know a little bit weaker in moments, but it's eighteen episodes long. So to me, it evens out, sort of. Um, I know a lot of people have really enjoyed this trilogy, and I will not take that away from them because, like. No one who enjoyed the trilogy is wrong. Um, it's it's just I really was hoping for more, and I think that we have we have been and still are getting better and more from like we we. I'm looking forward to a Cyberverse season four thing with some Dinobots in it. You know, like, holy crap! And I and what does it say that that's what I was thinking about the whole time I was watching Kingdom? <laughs> but how like dang, it's so cool that this isn't the only media we have, so we don't have to fall back onto that refrain. Um, is that is that it, or is this like, man, I wish I was watching Cyberverse? I mean, there were a lot. I mean, there were lots of points where I was just like, 
literally like i'm not hyperbolizing on this i was just like man this is interesting cyberverse did it better but it's neat to see someone else's take <laughs> like like cyberverse even had beast they had cheetor in it and they had the allspark in it and they did something more interesting and and the allspark thing this was i think one of the first times where that wrote storyline at least they were gonna face they were gonna face the fact that like hey why did you shoot the AllSpark off Cybertron? It seems like that was only a bad idea. And then at the very last minute, they chicken out and they go like, it's all right. Everyone dead thinks you're still cool. So we'll just forget it happened because it's AllSpark's back. And it's yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, ugly. It's just ugly. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's poor storytelling. In a vacuum, not just because some other show was better or because it's not like the original or blah, blah, blah. It's just like, what is Optimus Prime's story arc? It's a story. It's up until the last minute, a story arc of a hero who did something wrong and realizes what he did wrong. And then at the last minute, it, it feels like their payoff instead becomes... And so he faces Nemesis Prime, the culmination of the alternate future where he faced consequences. And like, that's not, that's not an ending. <laughs> no, no, here's, like, here's, here's what's horrible about it is that what we found out during Earthrise is that the thing that Prime is going through is survivor's guilt. That this is his fault that so many died because he thinks he took the wrong path, but he's now stuck doing this and more are dying as a result. He, you know, he feels mm-hmm. guilty because He's alive while all of them sacrifice their lives. At the end of the series, everyone he left behind was dead, including his girlfriend. And then from <laughs> the great beyond, for one moment, they all appear to tell him, no, we still like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not that's, that's not a resolution. No, it's that's cool. the that's the real cap. That's the real cap on it that just every time I think about it, it, it just makes me grit teeth of like that that at the end you, you actively on a meta level told the guy, no, it's okay. Even all the dead people you feel bad about, they briefly can talk to you from the afterlife and they all say, No, it's cool. Like that not a <laughs> single one of them confronted him about a single thing is such boring flatness like yeah, ah. you, yeah yeah you know those millennia psychological trauma you've endured optimus uh elita said it was cool so you're good now <laughs> yeah she's also dead but she's she still says thank you for letting her die for you and i say this shrugging and blinking a lot and shaking my head like <laughs> and what's really really gets me and i'm not going to go in specifics but like this whole notion of like an afterlife and 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 that kind of relevance even that was done more joyfully in the show that came out a week beforehand. <laughs> anyway, um, I yeah, I couldn't I couldn't really bring it together to end on an upper. My apologies to everyone who did really enjoy the trilogy. I'm, uh, if you did listen to this whole podcast, I hope it's clear that like none of this is coming at you. Like this, in my case, this is very much coming at the voice director and now the showrunner. Like I'm just glaring at both. Because I, I feel like a lot of my problems seem to just sort of float right into that little pair of windows, you know? Um, but hey, maybe, maybe it, we don't know about the next trilogy yet, so now we have a little break from characters speaking like this every time they have something to say and with that, Aaron, thanks for uh, for coming by to talk some uh, Kingdom. Hey, you're very welcome. Donate to my yeah. extra life before the end of the month if Chris can get this out before the end of the month so I can get dice. 
Well, I want dice too, so now I got to keep this from going up before the end of the month, so I can get all yeah. that donation traffic. Except donate for you won't do boat. anything. You won't do anything both, to actually get donate. You keep talking about how you're thinking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to drag you down with me to donate. I'm dragging Instead, you down with me. Instead, you're just murder suiciding this thing, and neither of us will get cool <laughs> dice. Thanks. Listen, you got lots of dice. You, um, yes, that's why I need more. <laughs> uh, TJ, thank you uh, for joining me to talk about um, this beast show. Like, hey, listen, I know, I think we both did a great job here, but you especially, we did not once mention the absence of Scott McNeil specifically. Look, I understand why. Uh, I came to terms with that long before this show uh, had any kind of voice cast announced. Yeah. I'm still not happy about it, but still realistic expect that's the one thing that kills me when i that i just can't like i just don't i don't have the patience to lay it all out is like when people are like well they should have just gotten they should have just gotten david k for this i'll lay it i'll lay it up i'll lay it up flat they have they have unions they belong to in canada they can't work with anything in the u.s period done except david k he works in la now they could have gotten him they screwed up well but then here's this is this is the real thing is this is a non-union production which creates that schism uh and immediately draw, like, and it, uh, you know, I talked about it a bunch, but the, as union actors, a lot of those Beast Wars actors weren't going to participate this. And then also, because they're Canadian union actors, and this is an American production, then they also were probably not going to participate in this. It goes all kinds of places. Um, but, uh, you know, just listen to who we got and stop, stop telling people that they should be someone else, in my opinion. Uh, judge them on, on, uh, on their vocal quality and, uh, and also, in my opinion, start trying to find that divide between vocal or actor quality and, like, quality of direction, because that's big. That's a big thing. Um, and, uh, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back with a, a non-show-focused podcast after this one, because we got no more shows to talk about. Um, at least until that Cyberverse movie drops, and I have no idea when that movie or season drops. I just know that the toys keep quietly showing up all over the place um, with really weird photography. Uh, but until then, uh, we will talk to you later, so uh, please stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you later. It means, but you got some badass perpetrators that are here to stay.